0: Moving into Exodus chapter 12. So, if you want to open up your Bible and turn there, um, at the end of service, we're going to have a time of prayer, second Sunday of the month. So, if you're in need of prayer or someone you know who is in need of prayer um, and you want to come up and uh, pray with one of the leaders in the church together in, in, a, in, a, in a format where we do once a month, please do so. Uh, the Lord tells us that He hears our prayers and that He answers our prayers. And um, he also says that we have not because we ask not. And so if you're struggling this morning with anything, you can bring it before the Lord. If there's a need in your life, you can bring it before the Lord. If you have a health issue that you need healed of, you can bring it before the Lord. And, And if you have a family member who is hurting or lost or unsaved or or, or, or any of those things, whatever it is, you can bring it before the Lord, and and I would encourage you guys, as God puts those things on your heart this morning, as we study His Word, to take advantage of that, and to come forward as we worship at the end of service and pray. Now, before we continue on, um, and thank you for your prayers for me, too. You guys know I was gone last week, and, and I had um, uh, to go to an oral surgeon and have some work done on my mouth, and I'm doing better. Appreciate the prayers. But um, we have a whole week off where we're kind of picking back up. And so um, before we continue on and read through this next chapter, I need to point out for the sake of context that at the end of the last plague we read about um, in chapter 10, the, the, the which was the ninth plague, um, the plague of darkness, three very important things transpired and we want to we want to be aware of those things as we continue on and the first is found back in chapter 10 verse 27 where it tells us that God had hardened Pharaoh's heart and he Pharaoh was still unwilling to let God's people go then in verse 28 we're told that Pharaoh banished Moses from his presence and he said you're not coming back and if you ever come back he said he was going to put him to death, that he, he would be put to death. And the third thing of importance that we need to take with us as we continue on is the fact that um, Moses, in response to Pharaoh's words of, of being banished and being put to death, Pharaoh, Moses prophetically, um, unbeknownst to him, but yet it was, was, was a prophetic thing, Moses spoke prophetically in verse 29 when he answered Pharaoh and said, You had spoken well, I Will never see your face again. But before Moses left Pharaoh's presence, at this time still standing there before Pharaoh after the ninth plague, where Pharaoh refused to let God's people go in a way that God had commanded, um, we read here in chapter eleven that before Pharaoh, before Moses left Pharaoh's presence, that that present presence that God instructed Moses to speak this one last final warning and describe once again in detail a plague this 10th plague the final plague where God would say that he would stretch out his mighty hand against all of Egypt for one last time and strike them by taking down their firstborn and so if you follow along with me in chapter 11 verse 1 it says I'll read and the Lord said to Moses I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people verse 4 then Moses said okay taking the words that the Lord had spoke to him speaking before Pharaoh said thus says the Lord about midnight i will go out in the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill meaning from from the least to the greatest and he said and all of the firstborn of the animals And then there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it. Again, verse 7, but against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. In other words, between those who are in the world and, and, and His people, His children. And all these, verse 8, your servants, and all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out, and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. And then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. And we're never told exactly why, but I know that, 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 that Moses was a compassionate man, and we see that later as he leads the people through the wilderness. But I think that, that, that and this is, a, this is a good reminder for us, I think that he went out from Pharaoh in great anger at this point, not because Pharaoh hadn't kept his word, but because it had escalated to this point where there was going to be such a loss of life. And guys, when we see sin in our own lives or in the lives of people around us, and you see the destruction and the devastation that it brings, it too should bring the same kind of anger and going, why? It's such a waste. It's such a loss. And, and not that God's justice is wasteful or, or lost. But when people go to that place, it should bring this grieving about. And and, and I think that's what was going on. But in verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And God explaining that it was so that he might be known. Remember, that was the message through this whole thing. So So that he would be known to Pharaoh, be made known to Pharaoh, and be made known to the Egyptian people and also be made known to the children of Israel. God was making himself known through these things. And so, lastly, verse 10, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would not be like Pharaoh this morning. I pray, God, that we would not harden our hearts against you and whatever you have for us God you know exactly where we're at you know the things we're going through you know the struggles that we face you need the encouragement you know the encouragement that we need to hear the admonishment and Lord we know that your word is profitable for rebuke for correction for instruction in righteousness so that we your children might be thoroughly equipped God for every good work you Lord we also know that you have you alone have everything that pertains to to life and to godliness and Lord, we desire to be in your presence this morning, to hear from you, to worship you, to know you more, to spend time with those who love you. And so God, do your work as you only can in our lives today. God, we, we trust you, we believe in you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, by sending this last plague, God stated here in the very beginning of this chapter that he was gonna deliver this one last blow, one last blow, and in, in doing so, set his people free. And on that very night Pharaoh told told or God Moses told Pharaoh, God speaking through Moses to Pharaoh, he said on that very night about midnight, all there wasn't a whole lot of time here, but but all of the firstborn sons and all of the firstborn livestock in Egypt would die. And there would be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt. Yet once again God God's people and their livestock, those who were in the land of Goshen, would be spared because because the Israelites were God's special people. We had looked at this same thing over and over again as we've read through and studied. They were set apart, wholly separate unto the Lord. God had chosen them, and he would be their God, and they would be his people. But when we read on into chapter 12, we see that even though they would be spared from this particular um, plague, we read in verse, in, when we read on in chapter 12, we see that there would nevertheless be cries of death from within the land of Goshen. As each Hebrew family would have to put to death a male yearling lamb, either that of, 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 of a sheep or of a goat, and, and mark the outside of their home with the, with the blood of that, am, that lamb that had been sacrificed as a sign as a sign for um, those angels of death to pass over him, to spare them from this judgment that was coming upon Egypt and upon the Egyptian people. And it would be this night that would mark for the Hebrew people, into, into God said forever, that this night would mark the inauguration of the Passover, an annual feast that would be celebrated by the Hebrew people. The Passover, which became Israel's first national feast. In light of this, as we study through the next three chapters, and this is how we're going to break it down. When we study through the next three chapters, chapter 11, 12, and 13, that kind of account this whole thing, we're going to look at five five different aspects of the Passover event. The first being how the Passover related to the Egyptian people. And that's what we read about here in chapter 11. How did this Passover event, this 10th plague, how did it relate to the Egyptian people? And in this, we see things that can apply to our own lives this morning. Remember, up to this point, Pharaoh and his people had been physically tormented, at the very least, by the first six plagues, right? Then they experienced devastation. It went. It escalated. It went from, from, a, from a torment to a devastation in where... Uh, They experienced a devastation to their land and to their possessions as a result of the seventh and the eighth plagues. And then last week or the week before in chapter 10, we, we read about the ninth plague, which it said brought about a paralyzing darkness, a darkness that could be felt, which lasted for three days, and that plague set the stage for the worst plague of all, the one we're reading about now. And as you search scripture, you'll find that there's other places where this event is spoken about, where it's accounted for. And one of those places is in Psalm 78, verses 49 through 52. And in that passage of scripture, we're given another look at what happened on that day in this event when it says this, God cast on them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, wrath, indignation and trouble by sending angels of destruction among them. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death, but he gave their life over to the plague and destroyed all the firstborn in Egypt, the first of their strength in the tents of Ham. But he made his own people go forth like sheep, and he guided them in the wilderness like a flock so that kind of opens our understanding of what's going on here expands it but this plague like many of the others it did not come without god's warning and god's faithful always guys faithful to warn us to guide us to instruct us to admonish us he just doesn't wait to set us up and 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 Come against us in the midst of our failures, our sin, our rebellion. He always warns us, and he did this over and over and over again for Pharaoh. And so God spoke, and Moses listened, and in addition to be given the details of this plague, which should have been terrifying, especially in light of the fact that the nine that Moses had already said would come, did come, and now you have this tenth. And I keep thinking, what, did he really doubt he had all this evidence? But guys, isn't that no different than the people who are in the world today? The Bible says that people don't perish for lack of evidence because they don't know the truth. It's because they harden their hearts against the truth. And we do this as well in regards to sin, even as believers today. That we, we harden our heart against God because we want things in our lives, yet God warns us the things that we want that God says aren't good for us. And, and, and in doing so, we, we reap what we've sown. And God gives us the details, and yet we go, I, I, I don't believe that. I somehow think that I can be spared from what God said is going to happen. And yet we have this lifetime of evidence, these things that we know to be true. And in addition to the details of the plague, if you'll notice there in verse 2, there's this other thing that's going on where Moses was also told to speak to the Hebrew people and to instruct them to go to the Egyptians. Now think about this. It just blows my mind. To go to the Egyptians and to ask for their articles of silver and gold. By the way, we're going to be leaving now. And can I have all your silver and all your gold? And that's what Moses told them to do. Hey, get ready. God's told us to do this Passover feast and the plague's coming and and we have a few hours beforehand. So go to your neighbor, go to your Egyptian neighbors and and just ask them for their silver and gold. and, and, And they're going to give it to you. It's mind-blowing to think about this, and this is an interesting thing considering we go all the way back to Abraham, that, that God in speaking to Abraham and making promises to him about making him a mighty nation and giving him a land and, and this covenant that God made with Abraham, he also told him that his descendants would go into Egypt and that they would come out of Egypt with, quote-unquote, great substance. And that's all the way back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 14. And then God restated this very same promise to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 verses 21 through 22 when he first spoke to Moses and called him when he spoke to him out of the burning bush. But considering the Hebrew people had been in slavery, remember, they weren't friends with these people. They had been in bondage. They were in slavery. The the Hebrews were the Egyptians' slaves. And they had been in slavery for many years, so it seemed impossible for them to leave with any great substance. Why? Because slaves didn't have great substance. The Egyptians had it all. Yet God said, if they asked their Egyptian neighbors for it, then he would give them favor, and the Egyptians would freely just give their silver and gold to them. And and obviously, from a worldly point of view, no one, and even more so, multiple someones, would never hand over their silver and their gold to their slaves simply because they asked for it. But when we see this, or by this, we see that God was really asking his people, as Moses was speaking to him and told the people to do this thing, he was asking his people, upon their departure, to exercise faith. Right? To exercise faith. And because, ultimately, they believed the words of God that Moses had spoke. We read in in chapter 12, if you turn over and look there, in verse 36, that God did, in fact, give His people favor and they plundered Egypt upon their departure. I would have loved to have been there. I hope there's a video or DVD recording of this somehow in heaven where I can look at and see how this all played out. It's got to be like, um, you know, like on Star Star Wars with the force. Yes, you will give me all your silver and gold. (laughs) I don't know. That was for Josh. Where are you at, Josh? You're walking around. But guys in light of this we should be reminded there's an awesome there's an awesome principle here for us we should be reminded that no matter how impossible the circumstances might seem to be to us God is more than able to do exactly what he has promised to do and the truth is often the circumstances seem to present themselves as impossibilities do they not But we have to exercise faith. And when we exercise faith and do what God has said, He will always give us His favor. Always. I don't know exactly what that will always play out to be, but you can trust, you can rest assured, when you exercise faith, when you walk in faith, when you live by faith, it brings God's favor. And God will intercede into our circumstances in a supernatural way, and He will make the impossible possible. It seems impossible that a year after the bridge has been opened that God's made it a way for us to purchase that building. That the ministry is is flourishing. That kids are hearing the gospel message. That they're being prayed for and being prayed with. These are kids who have no home life. That are influenced in a negative way by... By social media and by drugs and by alcohol and by all kinds of evil and sinful things where there's nobody in their life loving them and telling them the truth. And God said, if you step out in the faith, I will give you my favor. I will do the impossible. And he has. He's done exceedingly more than we could ever hope for and imagine. And, and as we see that here and we see it exampled in other areas of our life, you this morning, we this morning can take hold of those same promises no matter what you're going through, no matter what your struggle is, no matter what the impossible thing you're facing, God's greater. He's greater. Now even though the Hebrew people believe the words of God that Moses had spoken. We see that Pharaoh rejected God's word of warning and still would not let God's people go. But in rejecting God's word, Pharaoh caused, sadly, the firstborn in the land to die, and this brought intense sorrow to himself and to his people. And in most cultures, the firstborn son is considered to be special. And you can ask my firstborn son, and he'll tell you that's a truth (laughs) from his point of view. And even more so in ancient Egypt. Because when you study out the ancient Egyptian culture, what you see is that the firstborn son was not only special, they were considered to be sacred. Sacred. But we can see why God would bring this kind of judgment against Pharaoh when we consider that God refers to Israel as his firstborn son. And he does so in many places, all throughout Scripture. In fact, he even spoke... Of this to Pharaoh back in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Even before God had sent the first of any of the plagues. And so, back at the very beginning of this conflict, God had told Moses to warn Pharaoh and to tell him this He said, The way that you have treated and will treat my firstborn, Israel, will determine how I will treat you, Egypt's firstborn. That was the message to Pharaoh at the very beginning. And so after nine warnings and nine attempts to defy God, God was finally allowing for Pharaoh to reap what he had sown for enslaving, brutally abusing, and refusing to let his firstborn child go. And, and you know what? And this idea of compensation as a form of justice is a fundamental law of life, is it not? Furthermore, it's not only a fundamental law of life. Don't we all say, you know, you're going you're to get what you deserve right it's not only a fundamental law of life it's also a truth in regards to this to this to this to this temporal world and into the eternal life to come and this is what paul wrote about in galatians chapter 6 when he said do not be deceived god is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap and the fact of the matter is is that apart from the grace and there's the key right apart from the grace And apart from the forgiveness of God, everyone, none of us will reap, or excuse me, every one of us will reap what we have sown, and we will receive a just compensation for every evil and sinful thing that we have done without God's grace, without God's forgiveness. So in relationship to Pharaoh and the Egyptian people, we see that the Passover was a just compensation, right? For sinning against God, for rebelling against God, for refusing God. But even more so, and this is what it really boils down to, it was even more so of a just compensation considering Pharaoh and the Egyptian people had completely forsaken and rejected God's mercy. And they had rejected, in addition to God's mercy, they had rejected the truths that God had made known to them. And it's clear that God had endured with much long-suffering up to this point the rebellion, the pride, and the arrogance of Pharaoh as uh, uh, as, as, as well as his cruel treatment of the Jewish people. Yet we know that all the way through this Pharaoh would not submit. Furthermore, God had openly proven through these signs and wonders that are spoken about here again so that people may know who he is, is that God had openly proven that he was the one and only true God. And he made it known in doing so that these other gods that the Egyptian people worshipped, the gods and goddesses of the Egyptians, were false gods as, the, as each one of these plagues was a, was, a, was a demonstration against these Egyptian gods. And yet, what do we see? They wouldn't believe. They wouldn't believe. And so in, verse, in chapter 12, we read on, and it tells us it says now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying This month shall be the beginning of a month it shall be the first month of the year to you Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father a lamb for a household And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood, and they shall put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in the fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Verse 9 Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roast it in fire, its head with its leg and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Now thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you, on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your house. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation, verse 16. And on the seventh day, so there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that, which everyone, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt therefore you shall observe this day through your generations as an everlasting ordinance in the month in the first month on the 14th day of the month in the evening you shall eat unleavened bread and on the 21st day of the month at the at, at evening for 7 days no unleavened bread shall be in your house Since whoever eats what is leaven, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native in in your land. And then in verse 20, it says, You shall eat nothing leaven in all of your dwellings, or or in, in all of your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. excuse me and you shall take verse 22 a bunch of hyssop was a was a plant and you shall dip it in the blood that is in the basin the blood of the lamb that was collected there and you shall strike the lintel and the two doorposts and the blood in the basin and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses and strike you. And you shall observe this as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. And we know that that the Orthodox Jews today still do this. And four, celebrate the Passover. And it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you just as He promised that you shall keep this service, and it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service, that you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the house of Israel, of the children of Israel, in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our household. So the people bowed their heads, and they worshiped, and then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And I think that's all the further we're going to get this morning. We'll look at the rest next week. But in these next set of verses, we get to look at the second aspect. The first aspect was specifically in relationship to how the Passover related to the Egyptians as it was a, a, a God's compensation of, and, and just judgment. But this second aspect of the Passover in these verses is in regards to how the Passover or this 10th plague from which the Passover was born out of, how it relates to the Israelites, the children of Israel, the Hebrew people. And it's clear that even while God was doing a work of just compensation with the Egyptian people through this 10th plague, God was also doing a completely different work for his people with this or by this same act. And by these verses, we see that for the Hebrew people, the work of God through the 10th plague when god would said he said he'd pass through egypt and he said he would pass over him that work that he was going to do was a work of a new beginning a work of a new beginning and this work of a new beginning was also a work that would bind them together in a national way as a nation Remember, God talked about bringing them in as a family and bringing them out as a mighty nation. And then this is what we see, and he did so through this Passover. And as many of us know, whenever God sets us free, a person free from bondage, free from the bondage of sin and death, it's the beginning of a new thing. It's the beginning of a new life. And I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, everything, he says, has become new. And without a doubt, there is new life and a new beginning when we put our faith in and choose to follow after Jesus. But this is not a one-time occurrence, and I'm so grateful for that. It's not a one-time occurrence. Since God is faithful to forgive us and restore us from the place we have fallen, any time we have fallen and give us a new beginning, any time we're willing to turn away from our sin and to turn back to him. You know what Lamentations 3 verses 22 and 23, you know, it, it, it's a familiar passage, but it really reminds us of this about our God. When it says because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then the whole idea behind that is is even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. And according to verse 2, God said that (coughs) this new beginning for his people would also be the beginning of months. The first month of their calendar year. And, and for you who are our Bible scholars and like this kind of stuff, the Jewish nation in the Old Testament, they really had two calendars by which they operated. A civil calendar that began in uh, the end of, of our September and the beginning of our October. And then they also had this religious calendar that began in the end of our March and the beginning of our April. And, and the New Year, the New Year's Day specifically, in the civil year is called Rosh Hashanah. And it fell, not to confuse you, but it fell in the seventh month of the religious calendar. And that month ushered in for the Hebrew people many other religious feasts, such as the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement the Feast of Tabernacles, but the Passover feast specifically is what marked the beginning of the religious year. And at the Passover, obviously from these first six verses that we read here, the focus is on the Lamb. And as you well know, the Lamb, quote-unquote, the Lamb is a major theme throughout all the Old Testament as God's people waited in conjunction with that title, with that idea for the coming of the Messiah. And this idea of the sacrificial lamb is first introduced all the way back in Genesis chapter 22, verse 7. And that happened with a question, a question asked by a son who had a load of wood on his back that was following his father, Isaac, following his father Abraham up the top of a mountain in the land of Moriah in order to worship and make a sacrifice to God a burnt offering. And Isaac's looking around, and he's all, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Specifically, he says, where is the lamb? And he asks that as they climb the mountain. And even though Abraham prophetically answered his son, saying, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. We know that the lamb of God would be provided that would be provided would be Jesus and that would be nearly 1600 years after that event. And John the Baptist 1600 years later according to John chapter chapter 1 verse 29 he declared that Jesus was this when he pointed at Jesus as he stood in the water and said behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In light of this, there should be no doubts as we study through this Passover in relationship to the Israel people, to the Hebrew people, there should be no doubts in our minds that the Passover lamb is intentional, it's a purposeful picture of Jesus who is the Messiah. And this is further confirmed by all kinds of words. The prophetic words of Isaiah in chapter 53 verse 7. Also in in the New Testament by Philip and his words recorded in Acts chapter 8 verses 32 to 35 also by the apostle paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 by the apostle peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 through 20 and lastly by by the apostle john in the book of revelation both in chapter 5 verses 5 through 6 and then again in chapter 13, verse 8. And each one of those passages, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, which God sent to be a sacrifice for our sins. And with this knowledge in front of our minds, we're given really ultimately this really cool picture as we look back on what we read here. We're given a lens by which we can look through to examine these instructions for the Passover Lamb. And in doing so, it unlocks all kinds of cool things for us. And God gave the Hebrew people, first of all, in these instructions, specific instructions, saying first in chapter 12, verses 3 through 6, that the lamb was to be chosen and it was to be examined on the 10th day of the month and carefully watched for for four days to make sure that it met God's specific specifications, to see, God said, if it was without blemish, without any defect. In fact, you study Jewish history, and what you find out is, is that that lamb that was chosen would literally come to live within the home of those people during, who, who were going to sacrifice that lamb for those four days. And such was the case with Jesus in regards to the lamb that was chosen was to be without blemish to be without defect, to be examined. And Jesus was examined before he went to the cross. And in, his, in being examined, Jesus found to meet, was found to meet all of the requirements to be, the Bible says, our Passover lamb. And in the days leading up to his death, Jesus went, it says, through various trials, repeatedly through interrogations, and he was questioned, and yet he passed every test. But more importantly, this is what we need to keep in mind. Scripture tells us that Jesus, according to chapter um, 5 of 2 Corinthians, verse 21, that Jesus knew no sin. But also, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, that Jesus did no sin. And then according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, that in him there was sin no sin. He knew no sin. He was without blemish. He did not sin. He was without spot. And in Him there was no sin. The Holy Lamb of God. Thus, thus making Jesus the perfect Lamb of God. And so having the lamb, exam, examined the Lamb for four days, and, and after it had been found to have met all the requirements that God had set forth, then this perfect Unmarred, unspotted, unblemished lamb was killed, put to death on the 14th day of the month at twilight, it says. And then its blood was plied across the top and down the sides of the posts of the houses in which the Jewish families lived. And it says, This would be the sign. You know, this is the sign. Matter of fact, it's our sign. It's the sign. And it was the sign for the plague of death to pass over them. It's important to point out that it wasn't, if you notice through this, that it wasn't the life of the Lamb that saved the people from the judgment that was coming. From the the outpouring of God's wrath and indignation, it says. But it was the death of the Lamb that saved the people. And this is why we read in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, verse 11, When God was speaking about the sacrifices, He said, in detail, He said, it is the blood that makes the atonement for the soul. It is the blood that makes the atonement for the soul. And again, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, this is reiterated with these words where it says, without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission, meaning there's no forgiveness and no deliverance from sin and the weight of sin. The debt of sin without the shedding of blood and this is so important to understand guys because and I'm sure you've run into people like this there are many people out here who claim to admire the life of Jesus claim to to admire the teachings of Jesus but yet they want nothing to do with the sign the cross of Jesus but you know what? it's his death on the cross that paid the price for our redemption And Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 declares this saying to us. He did not enter, Jesus, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood having obtained for us an eternal redemption. And because of this we understand that Jesus is our substitute. And he died our death for us and suffered the judgment of our sin for our sin now I want to point out and you probably noticed this as we were reading through this but I want to point out that the blood of the Passover lamb was only effective if it was applied right? take the hyssop dip it in the basin and and, and spread it across the top and bring it down the sides it was only effective if it was applied it couldn't just remain in the bowl It had to be applied. It had to be applied across the top and down the doorpost of each family's home considering God said, when I see the blood, that's when I'll pass over you in verse 13. And it's important as this relates to us because it helps us understand that it's not simply enough to know that Christ was sacrificed for the sins of the world. To simply know that he was sacrificed for sin, rather we must appropriate it as well. We must take hold of it Seize it, the Bible says. Take hold of the sacrifice for ourselves, in an individual, in an, in a personable way, and, and be able to say, like the Apostle Paul. I love this in Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. He says, "I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me." And with the appropriation of the blood on the outside as a sign, that was what God would look at. And in our own lives, we must stand before God someday and and, and go, I'm with him, and more so Jesus go, he's with me. By faith. And in addition to these specific instructions to examine the lamb, to kill the lamb at twilight, and then to apply the blood on the door of the lintel of the post, we read in verses 8-11, through you can see it there, That the lamb, there was even these specific cooking instructions. And if you look at the alternatives, you can go, yeah, who wants boiled meat? Roasting, barbecue, right? That's not what it was about. But there was these specific instructions in regards to the lamb saying that it was to be roasted and eaten. In fact, the eating of it was to be done in haste as each family member was to be ready to move out when the signal was given. And the, and, and the overall Passover meal it consisted more than just the roasted lamb. It had the unleavened bread, and there's this huge section on, on unleavened bread and yeast and, and, and all of that. But there was also these bitter herbs, each of which was a symbolic thing of a spiritual truth, a reminder, a foretelling for us as well. But the specific instruction to roast the whole lamb... is significant as it relates to the Messiah because it demonstrates the importance for us of seeing and receiving the wholeness of who Jesus is. And what does the Bible say Jesus is? Holy God and fully man. And this is further revealed by the fact that the Passover sacrifice is, is, is one of few sacrifices that was to be consumed by the Hebrew people. And this was not the case with all the sacrifices that God would institute as the Hebrew people were commanded at time to offer a sacrifice and it was to be offering to the Lord. But the Passover, the Passover lamb was different. It was to be consumed. In fact, God said here that the flesh of the lamb, all of it had to be consumed and what could not be eaten before the sun rose the next morning, it had to be burned up in the fire. None was to be left. No, no Passover lamb leftovers. So as we consider the importance of seeing the wholeness of the Lamb as it relates to Jesus, we first trust in the fact that we will be saved from our sins by a sacrifice, right? That's the starting point. The blood. But then we must also, in this, in this order of instruction, we must also feed on Jesus, right? What Jesus said to his disciples, unless you eat my flesh, And drink my blood. you will have no part with me. To take him in. And we must feed on Jesus in order, even today, as we're commanded through the the remembrance of communion to do the same thing, but we're commanded today to do this in order to have strength for our daily pilgrim and journey. It's not just about being saved and heading to a destination. It's about the journey and the walk through life with Christ by our side. And, 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 and in a practical way, feeding on Jesus takes place as we worship him, as we meditate on his word, as we pray to him, as we daily trust in him, as we regularly confess our sins to him and to one another. And in doing so, we appropriate, then we also take hold. We, 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 in doing so, we take that blood and we pour it out and we receive it as spiritual nourishment, the spiritual nourishment of Jesus into our lives. And in doing so, it's like what Paul writes in the book of Romans. In doing so, then we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And along with the lamb, the Israelites were told that they needed to, to eat some bitter herbs. And, and today... Usually that has to be some kind of uh, a horseradish root or something like that. And and, and, and with the bitter herbs, it's unleavened bread. And when they tasted the bitter herb, it was to be a reminder of them of their years of bondage in the land of Egypt. Or it was a time of sorrow, a time of weeping. And their bread was unleavened, meaning it had no yeast in it for two reasons. First was because it was practical. And if you look over to verse 39, which we're not going to get to, but it tells us that there wasn't enough time for the bread to rise because they were literally driven out of Egypt after this tenth plague came about. But also because the leaven or the yeast for us throughout all of Scripture and in the Hebrew culture is a picture, it's a spiritual illustration of sin, of impurity, this is further illustrated when we consider this section where we're told that for a week afterwards, the Feast of Unleavened Bread took place after the Passover where God's people were required to eat the unleavened bread and to remove every trace of it from where they dwelt. And guys, yeast is like sin in that it's hidden within. Right? It works silently and secretly. It spreads throughout. And it causes the dough in itself to rise or puff up, just like sin does, pride does for us. And in that, in that puffing up, in that, in that, in that prideful way, as we're doing things our way and not and not in submission to God's way, we become boastful and we 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 we, we snag the glory. And in First Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, the apostle Paul he wrote about this and he said, Your boasting is not good. He says, do you not know that a little yeast works throughout the whole batch of dough? Even a little bit of sin, guys. And that's why Jesus, when he's speaking, teaching his apostles, he said, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Don't even let a little bit remain because when we do, it grows and it manifests and it spreads throughout. He says, do you not know that a little yeast works throughout the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast. He says, as you really are. And I love that part because that's who we are through the blood of Jesus, sanctified, justified, holy. That's who we are as his kids. Be who we are. He says, "For Christ, our Pass, for Christ, our Passover Lamb," he says in verse seven, "has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, the celebration, not with old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth." Now, as we close and get ready for our time of prayer, or just really quickly, two last things I want to point out, Justin. And um, uh, Jan, you guys can come up. Um, the first is the fact that that as they ate this male, one of the things that I notice here is, is that they were commanded to do so as a family, right The lamb was to be chosen by a household and and, and that was speaking of of more than just like a mother and, and and a father and the children. it was it was a grandmother, a grandfather it was. Those who were of this family, they were to gather together and participate of this, to take this lamb. And those who didn't have enough to consume that lamb, they were to bring in other family members. And and it's a really cool thing. And and, and really, as a congregation, they consumed this lamb. They ate the Passover meal. And, and, And in other words... It was, and even more so, it was more than just families, it was the whole nation. The whole gathering of Israel did this. They participated in the Passover as God had instructed. And this should remind us of a couple of things. First of all, God cares, God cares about your family. And man, if you, if you have some children or, or, or moms or dads or family members who are not walking with the Lord right now, as is with, with me, with brothers and sisters and, and those kinds of things, This is comforting because God cares about your family, your whole family. He's interested in their salvation. And just like Israel was one nation because of the blood of the Lamb, so too, and here's the other application, so too is the church. Guys, we are one family, one fellowship. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb. Because we partake and consume of it together. And the last thing I want to point out is the fact that God instructed His people in verse 11 to eat this meal in haste. He said, literally, with your belts on your waist, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, in order that you might be prepared to flee, literally to be delivered from Egypt, which is always a picture of a world. And this is a graphic minder for us that we too, guys, we too, need to be living this way with our belt on, with our sandals on, with our staff in our hand, ready, willing to make haste. Why? As preparation for our own exodus. there is a day, guys, the Bible tells it, we sang about it this morning, when Jesus is coming soon. An, a, a day, the Bible tells us, where at the sound of the trump, in the twinkling of the eye, that the Lord will return, make Himself known into the clouds. We will ascend and be with Him forever. I'm going to le- read this last passage of Scripture and those who are praying, if you guys want to come forward and get ready, it's, it would be good. In First Thessalonians. It speaks of this and tells us of why we should be, rep- be prepared in chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. It says, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those, our loved ones, who have fallen asleep, those who have who have, who have passed on believing. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God calling the dead and the dead will in christ will rise first and that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so we will be with the lord forever therefore encourage each other with these words let's pray and lord these are encouraging words and God, I, I don't know about everybody else here, but if you came back before we got done singing these songs of worship to you, I'm ready. Amen. We're ready and we're waiting expectantly, Lord, for your return. And God, as we gird ourselves with faith and the helmet of salvation and shod our feet with the gospel of preparedness, we pray for your return. God, give us the ability by your Spirit to live each day with hopeful expectation, making the decisions that we do with the idea and expectation and knowledge that you're coming, that this is only a temporary place that we're passing through. Father, we love you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys want to come forward for prayer, you can.